step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. And welcome once again, folks, to another edition of Wrestling Unwrapped. This time covering another August 1998 pay-per-view. Mostly I'm trying to stall because I don't want to say its name. WCW Road Wild 1998. You know, we as always, I am your host. Hang on. As always, I am your host, Patrick Hensel. And joining me, once again, as always, Mr. Harry Broadhurst. Okay, we've covered way worse on this show, so frankly, you need to suck it up, Buttercup. Jay Leno. Again, not the worst celebrity we've covered. Did we cover Snooky? No, but we did cover Man Cow. Also, you said celebrity. Hey, I mean, technically, WCW tried to pass Man Cow off of celebrity, I mean. Can't wait till we cover one of the times that TNA had Pac-Man Jones as a tag team champ. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so tonight we will be continuing our look at August 1998 pay-per-views with Road Wild 1998 from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. Or North Dakota? Yes, South Dakota. Okay, thank you. Attended by, well, if you ask them, over 100,000 people. It was probably somewhere closer to about 9,000. No, I'd, I'd say they're definitely in the, uh, the mid-range of five digits of people there. I'd, I'd probably, typical arena attendance of about 25,000 people there. That was a yes, massive setup. Dude, that was a massive setup they had. And you need to true, see very true. Well. I mean, at least they actually had a setup for something like this. So, real quick, before we get started with that, as always, we are a presentation of the W2N Network. You can find all of our previous episodes, everything, all of our archives, at w2nnet.com, as well as our written reviews, which one of these days we'll get back to. August is a very bad month. Sorry. Yes, mostly my fault. Sorry. You know what else they can find over at W2mnet, Patrick, starting Tuesday? What would that be, except you're wrong, because I'm pretty sure that it's already been up. Uh, we start the May Young Classic this Tuesday, sir. We already did the Bracketology special, sir. Yeah, but the actual tournament starts Monday night after Raw, and we'll be talking about the first two episodes on Tuesday. Indeed we will. Hopefully. Indeed we will. 
me, you, and wrestling to the maxes, Paul Leiser. So it's a Wu to M reunion of sorts. Not no, like the one. What? I was just going to say, you know, technically that's what they called the SummerSlam, and they called our bracketology special a Wu to M. Which that one's a little weird, considering the fact that that's the start of a semi series. Well, anyway. I mean, technically. Technically, it is the forces of wrestling and wrapped in wrestling to the max coming together, kind of. True. Ish. But once again, you can find all of that at w2mnet.com as well. Starting, I believe, this week and with this very episode, you can now find Wrestling Unwrapped not only on Spreaker and Blueberry and iTunes and God knows where else, but if I'm not mistaken, you can hear us on a new website. As a matter of fact, it's a website you've heard Harry and I on before, right? Going home again. Looks like we're going home again. All right, I'll stop singing now. Thank you. Because you will be able to hear us once again on Blog Talk Radio, the website we started on, We're Going Back There. So be on the lookout for yet another place that you can find wrestling unwrapped. Alrighty. Let's hammer through this, please. Well, I guess there's only one place to start, and that's the beginning, where we usually start these episodes. Well, there is another point that we usually start at the beginning. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, I got okay, the good. Okay, very good then. Uh, about that well then, whenever he is ready, here's Harry with the results for WCW Road Wild 1998. August 8th, 1998, actually. I had a chance to check that up. As you mentioned, there is no arena information to, go, to give here because, well, frankly, they just kind of set an arena up with which to hold the show. They are as... Sure, just motorcycle as- rally. That's the arena. They are, as Patrick mentioned, in Sturgis, South Dakota. These are your results for WCW Road Wild 1998 as I attempt to pull up my actual results here because I have the times in front of me, but I forgot to check the matches. All right, here we go. So, our opening contest sees Ming Haku. Bless me. Bless you. <laughs> Defeat the Barbarian via pinfall with the Tongan death grip at... Dang it, where did, where did my paper go? There it is. All right. Oh, I'm having a time over here, Patrick. All right. Ming pins, the bar- Ming pins the Barbarian with the Tongan death grip at 4 minutes and 49 seconds. The public enemy defeat the Dancing Fools. They're referred to as Boogie Knights in the review I have in front of me, but no, the official WCW name for them was the Dancing Fools. I have never heard that name. I thought it was the Boogie Knights, unless that was a later version of them. That was the 1999 run. Before they became a a more established one, they were the Dancing Fools, according to Tony Schiavone and uh, Bobby Heenan. I mean, they weren't wrong, but anyways. Uh, well, they got the full heart turned, right. What turned into a street fight, yeah, what couldn't really call it dancing, at 15 minutes and 28 seconds when 
Johnny Grunge pins a massacred Disco Inferno. Raven wins a three-way match. Or, excuse me, not Raven. Wow. What the hell is going on here tonight? Try this again. You drunk? (laughs) Maybe a little. Saturn wins a three-way match, pinning Raven, but that's all, folks, at 12 minutes and 27 seconds with a second Death Valley driver. These guys have been wanting to have a much better singles match the following month at Fall Brawl. Patrick won't let us cover Fall Brawl, so you'll just have to take my word for it or watch it on the award-winning WWE Network. They are not paying us. (laughs) A cruiserweight number one contendership match. Rey Mysterio Jr. pins Titosi when he spikes him with the West Coast Pop. The Springboard Hurricane on it. It wasn't known as the West Coast Pop back then, but modern fans will know what it's the West Coast Pop. At 13 minutes and 38 seconds. Evie Ray retains the television championship by defeating Chavo Guerrero Jr. at 2 minutes and 39 seconds with a slapjack. Not the weapon, the move. The move itself, well, kind of hard to describe. We'll talk about it more a little bit later. Oy. Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner is not a thing that happens due to reasons. Steve Mongo McMichael pinned oh. Pins Brian Crush Adams at 6 oh. minutes and 33 seconds with the Mongo Spike, BKA, the Tombstone Pile Driver. And, yeah, I think you may have been too early in giving that rating that you did to, to Bushwhackers and whoever it was they faced at the Royal Rumble. Is this match? Cruiserweight are title you there? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Okay. The cruiserweight title is decided when Juventus Guerrero pins Chris Jericho with a Dean Malenko assisted Ali Frankensteiner at 1626. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Goldberg wins a battle royal via elimination or pinfall, last spinning the Giants because it makes sense to give that away in a battle royal. Why, Patrick? Because... Don't get the... Because WCW. Yeah. At 7 minutes and 57 seconds. And your main event, you chose an air quote, sees the team of Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno defeat the team of Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff at 14 minutes and 33 seconds when Leno pins Bischoff after a 72 bank diamond cutter. Uh, you're up, Petra. Oh, sorry. I'm uh, having happened? some technical difficulties over here. Yes, likewise. Not going so well. Okay. 
So thank you, Harry, as always, for the results here. So uh, I don't. Oh God, that last match. <laughs> there's a lot of crap to get through here, and there's a lot of crap to get through here. Yeah, there's bad wrestling on this show. There's awful wrestling on this show, and then there is absolutely reckless crap on this show. Reckless crap sounds familiar. I'm sure it's nothing. Anyway, so let's get right down into it. We got a lot of motorcycles. What better place to throw a wrestling show? God, WCW is stupid. The king of late night looks to take another throne. This is WCW Road Wild 1998. And as mentioned, kicking things off, it is Mang. Haku, facing, thank you, facing off against the Barbarian in, (laughs) what is de facto a no DQ match? Well, I mean, technically there's no actual outside involvement. Jimmy Hart distracts the referee a couple of times, but he doesn't actually physically get involved until after the match. I guess, but even still, just eh. This is this is not the kind of match you kick off a pay-per-view with, even though it's, you know, something the likes of Road Wild. <clears throat> Which, oh, by the way, we should mention, all the people that are there, yeah, no admission. Why? Yeah. Because WCW. WCW. Yeah. And once again, you're able to set your motorcycles up, you know, right up against the stage, which isn't a bad look, I don't think, but it's interesting. We'll put it that way. Um, in terms of this match, eek, just eek. It's not a pretty one, as you would come to expect from 1998 Barbarian and 1998 Haku, but it's not a good one. <laughs> No, I agree. Um, I, I think the reason they threw these two out first is because these are a couple of legitimate badasses, and they wanted to get guys out there that look like tough guys, so that way they can kind of show that wrestlers are, well, wrestlers are athletes, or at least look like they're athletes, because let's be honest, M- Ming, Haku, <laughs> Haku, <clears throat> bless you, thank you, has a reputation as being one of the biggest badasses in the history of professional wrestling. And frankly, ain't nobody stepping to the barbarian either. Ask Jimmy Jacobs about that one. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're talking about a Hakun barbarian that are 10 years older from when we really saw them in WWF or WWE. or You know what the hell I'm talking about. So it's just, this was not good, and I quite frankly think we've given this enough time. You know, we really should have initiated WCW rules for this pay-per-view. Unfortunately, that means we'd have to talk about a couple of the matches for 14 minutes, Jay Leno. And I don't think you want to do that, so it's probably for the best that we don't. Plus, I believe we said that it was over a certain amount of matches in a card we were going to do that, and I know this doesn't even sniff that. Yeah, I think officially there are only like nine matches. There's a tenth match scheduled, but it doesn't happen. We'll talk about that when we get to it. No, um... 
for as cringeworthy as it was in places, uh, Haku. <laughs> okay, we've run that joke into the ground. Uh, yeah. It's easier just to call him Haku, people. I, I, I know him best as Haku. He's Ming here, but yeah. most wrestling fans will know him as Haku. Um, yeah, not exactly the kind of match that you traditionally open a pay-per-view with, but at the same time, I understand the reasoning for it. The match itself, as Patrick mentioned, is not good, but at the same time, it gets a lot worse later on the show, so I'll give these guys a pass for this one. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this is bad. This would be my worst match of the night, but stuff happens later on. Uh, the next match is worse. Yes, agreed. And that is the Boogie Night Fools. <laughs> the Dancing Boogie Night Fools. Sure. <laughs> the Dancing Jackasses. <clears throat> Disco Inferno and Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright, taking on Public Enemy, Rocco Rock, and Johnny Grunge. In what becomes a street fight, why? Quite frankly, there's no actual reason given. It was just announced all of a sudden that this was a street fight. So, it's a street fight. And they make pretty good use of it being a street fight. Tables, weapons, the normal stuff. It just, it's a mindless brawl, and quite frankly, though, I thought it got a better rise out of the crowd than the first match did. I wouldn't have, I would have been okay if you flipped them, but, you know, that's almost 20 years time coming, so, oh well. Anything from you, Harry? Harry. Well, it seems I've lost my partner all of a sudden. I'm still here, Patrick. Oh, okay. Hi. I've been here the entire time. I responded both times. I can't help the fact that you can't hear me. Hmm. Something seems to be wrong. Indeed. Indeed it does. All right, maybe I just actually have to hold the speaker up from my mouth so you can actually hear me. Yes. Sure. Um, the thought that I had while you were discussing the match there is, is the reason it became a street fight is because nobody had any interest in seeing Public Enemy in a straight-up tag team match. Did anybody really have any interest in seeing Public Enemy, period? Uh, not if you were Bradshaw or Farouk. That is a reference that like people are going to get, but it's hilarious to those that do. I'm one of those six. <laughs> they just recently talked about it on one of the WWE documentaries I watched. I don't remember which one it was. Oh, it was straight out of Dudleyville. They talk about it, about how there was supposed to be a table spot and Public Enemy was supposed to go through the table, and they told the APA that they didn't want to go through the table, and the APA said, uh-huh, okay, sure. I proceeded to beat the ever-loving Snuffleupagus out of the Public Enemy, running them out of the WWF. Was it really undeserved? Well, you know, <laughs> there's one. Jesus. Um, I think this. I think the into a street fight saves it from being an absolute, complete, and total disaster. But it's not good. 
it's it's four dudes hitting each other with stuff, and then a somewhat impressive looking finish when the Flyboy Rocker Rock, uh, aka Ted Petty, climbs up the scaffolding, holding up the ring truss, and drops an elbow on the Disco Inferno for three tables. Why three tables? Because WCW. Because they didn't spend enough money on the show already. <laughs> Maybe they got a really good discount on tables for this show. They went through a couple in the uh, triple thread as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe so, yes. One of them they went through really ugly, too. Yeah, we'll uh, talk about yeah. that next match. Indeed, we will talk about that the next match. Which no. is... Wait, not yet. We're not quite done with the, uh, with, the, with the tag match here. Um, be honest, Can on a scale be... of one to... On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put the finish for this match at? Like, how would you rate, what was your entertainment value off of the finish? I thought it was a cool visual, but at the same time, it took a long time to set up. Yeah, I think, because it does, it takes quite a bit of time uh, for this to, for the elbow to set up. So it kind of kills it for you when you're, you know, waiting and you're 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 waiting. And then so, you waited for more. Yeah. Um, I mean, vi- visually impressive, but it just takes forever to get there. Yeah. So it's like, if they were able to pull it off in a timely manner, seven. Because of how ungodly long it takes, five. That works. I think I I just saw your message. I think I know the reason you're getting background noise. Give me a second. Sir. Jesus. Alrighty. So that about wraps that one up. So once again, our next contest. Oh boy. Saturn versus Raven versus Canyon in a Ravens rules match. What is Ravens rules? Well, any match that Ravens in is by Ravens rules. What are Ravens rules? And pretty much anything he wants to. Literally, anything he wants to. If he wants to add a person, if he wants to make a tag match into a singles match, if he wants to make a notice qualification, I think they're already automatically notice qualification. It's whatever Raven wants. Basically, Ravens rules means there are no rules. Well, there's some rules. There's got to be. Especially with him changing matches and changing opponents. Well, all the same, it turns into a triple threat. We have a triple threat here. Uh, and Raven's claiming that Canyon is with him. This match seems to prove otherwise, that Canyon is not. No doubt about that. As a matter of fact, that's kind of why Canyon was in the match is because the relationship had become strained, I think would be the best way to put it. Um, Not a bad triple threat, but not as good as other matches featuring Raven and Canyon. Um, I stand by the statement I made earlier, Patrick, as far as the uh, singles match from Fall Brawl the following month. Saturn and Raven have a one-on-one match at Fall Brawl, and I will admit to being a little bit biased towards this show, because when I got back into watching wrestling back in the late 2001, early 2002, wrestling was not allowed in my household by my parents. We've had this conversation before on getting to know Wu. Um, 
when I got back into watching WCW, watching wrestling in general, and specifically WCW, because the first two VHS tapes I ever got were both WCW VHS tapes, the very first one of those VHS tapes I watched was Fall Brawl 1998, which is a god-awful show, don't get me wrong. In hindsight, it is just drizzling crap. If somebody getting back into wrestling again for the first time in a while, the Saturn Ravens singles match at that particular show, also under Ravens rules, is very entertaining. There you go. But, I mean, unfortunately, we picked the very wrong show to have to cover. We should have waited until September 98. Except I don't think there was an ECW pay-per-view in September. Eh, oh, well. Um, I mean, Seven ends up picking up the victory. Despite me saying Raven originally in the results. Right. Why? Because, well, we're not all there. Oops. We're both very <laughs> tired. And only one of us has an actual full-on voice. I, I kind of have a voice. Sort of. That's why I, I said full-on. I spent all day yesterday at a theme park, so needless to say, my voice is mildly to moderately strange, but I'm all right. I'm good to go. Okay, very good. Um, the issue that I have with this match isn't so much the action that's contained within, it's the way that it's put together. I like the fact that they tease the whole Saturn Raven thing, uh, the whole Saturn and Canton, the Raven and Canyon thing early, but that's all folks. I like the fact that they tease the Raven and Canyon thing early, but I think they should have kept it up a little bit longer before revealing that Canyon was his own man. Interestingly enough, Canyon would get involved in the Raven Center match at Fall Ball and try to help Raven win that match too. Because WCW. 100%. I like and that remember, his... folks, real quick, remember, folks, Russo's not there yet. Yeah. He's working on the show we're going to cover next. That would be the highway to hell. Um, excuse me. Saturn actually was a decent singles performer for WCW. Raven has been good to, well, average to good for most of his singles run, in my opinion, for most of the Raven matches I've seen. I've always been a fan of Chris Canyon because I like that whole innovator of offense thing that he had going. It's the same reason I was a big fan of Nova in ECW. For some odd reason, though, this triple threat here just does not come off as well as they probably thought it would or they probably thought it should. Of all the main matches that are announced for this particular show, I would say this one's probably the biggest disappointment to me, if not necessarily the worst match. Mm, I don't know that I'd go with the worst match. But, no, I, yeah, I, 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 I understand. Sorry. I didn't say that it was the worst match. I said, given the match card that I saw before I watched the show, because I just watched the show for the first time when we were getting ready to review it, but given the match card that I saw for the show, my expectations for this match were significantly higher than what the match delivered. Despite the fact that I watched it ahead of you and said, oh, God. Well, I mean, I, I tend to take your opinion about WCW with a grain of salt. Are you starting to see that I was right? Uh, well, for this show, yes. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, so Saturn ends up picking up the victory. Yeah, Shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, let's Our next contest 
is a well, if you were to ask WCW, it would be a cruiserweight championship contender elimination match. AKA it's the number one contenders number one contenders match for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. It is Psychosis or Psychosis. Thank you, Joey Styles, versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, yeah, I'm just going to get this one out of the way. Ow! That ending. <laughs> yeah. Ow! Yeah, he had spiked him something serious on that West Coast pop, didn't he? Yeah! Very good, you know, good to great match going in, but then that ending... Ow. Oh, no, completely disagree. This match was awful. I said good. No. Maybe not great. No, I, yeah, no, 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 not great at all. Never mind. I'm thinking no, of something This else. was definitely one of their weakest one-on-one performances against each other I've ever seen. We did the six-minute special that they had at the first one-night stand a couple of weeks ago for one of the uh, one of the earlier episodes of Wrestling and Rep. You can find it in our, in our archives over at w2mnet.com. But it's two. Huh? That's two. <laughs> I mean, technically, I'm plugging the show. Yes, it's a tribute to a show, a, a podcast that we both listen to, but it's not a direct one until you mentioned it. All right, fine, whatever. No. All right, anyway, back to the conversation at the end. Um, that match was significantly better than this one was, and that was the match that was half the time that this one was. They get 13 minutes here, and frankly, for the, better, the, for the better part of those 13 minutes, I'm bored by this match. I'm not going to lie. I'm bored, and I find both Ray and Psychosis to be very competent workers. Do you think we'll ever find a good match between them that we'll review? Ever? Uh, that depends. Are we ever going to do the rise and fall of ECW? Eventually, I'm sure. If we do rise and fall of ECW, the two out of three fall Extreme Lucha Libre Wolves matches on there, and that one's worth watching. True. Is that the one that ends on the car? Yes, it is. No, it's the one that ends off of the car with the Frankensteiner, yes. That's what I meant. Yeah. Anyway. Um, this match yeah, was not it, that it, match. I didn't think it was that bad. You know, I thought it was at least decent. Um, but, yeah, this is kind of down there with their one-night stand match. And as you mentioned, this one is double the time. So it's essentially the same amount of crap but spread out. And then Ray spikes him because, ow, like psychosis just goes head first right into the ring canvas. Just, well, ugh. Allow me to, uh, allow me to say that I actually kind of liked the one night stand match. And my rating when we get to those shows in our written reviews will reflect this. I know we usually save the ratings for our written reviews here, but for this match right here, yeah, star and a half, top. which when you consider the talent of the two men involved is a tremendous disappointment. Jeez, like Speaking a, of tremendous disappointment, our next like contest. A, it's like a recurring theme for this pay-per-view. Go ahead. Yeah. So once again, speaking of uh, disappointment, our next contest, I guess we're the suckers that got to know Stevie Ray defending the WCW Television Championship against Chavo Guerrero Jr., accompanied wow. to the ring by... Pepe. 
defending is. The television champion at this time was actually Booker T. He was just on the shelf with a he was on the shelf with a shoulder injury. So Stevie Ray found the WCW title and decided to take it upon himself to defend it. Did he find it in a garbage can? Uh, he did not Midian the belt. He may have found it in somebody else's bag though. Um, similar to other things being found in people's bags backstage too, involving people we'll cover on our next review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two people, actually. Well, well what, two people what being involved. I know. Anyway. Our, real quick, our next review after this will be WWF SummerSlam 1998, The Highway to Hell, from the world's most famous arena. So be on the lookout for that sometime in the future. <laughs> in terms of this... Ugh. Stevie Ray wins. Let's move on. Uh, well, we do have to describe this logic to people. Uh, for, w, for fans of ECW, if you remember Kid Cash's moneymaker, it's pretty much that, just a crappier version. <laughs> well, who the hell is doing it? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like Triple H's pedigree, but instead of just dropping straight down, he like lifts him out and pushes him outward with it. But, yeah, it's... I mean, it's a cool-looking move visually, but it's Stevie Ray doing it, so it looks like crap. We will be hearing about Travo Guerrero, Travo Guerrero Jr. a little bit later on in this show. Consider that your tease for later on. Hmm. Yeah, how's that for a tease? <laughs> All right, are we up Not to good, the, but okay. Are we up to the Rick and Scott Steiner debacle once again? Huh? Are we up to the Rick and Scott Steiner debacle again? Uh, I think so. Or is that after the Mongo and Adams match? Just for the hell of it, just so we can put off talking about Mongo in any way, shape, or form for at least a few <laughs> more minutes? Yeah, the Rick and Scott debacles now. It actually is up next, too, which works out perfectly. Good. <laughs> So apparently uh, a tear shot can put somebody in a leg cast on a stretcher with an oxygen mask. I was half expecting Ric Flair to pop up. Oh, no, Rick was currently fired from WCW at this point. For the seventh time? Somewhere around there. I believe Flair was fired by Bischoff at this time because he chose to leave a thunder taping in order to attend his son, David. Yes, that David. Amateur wrestling match. Um, No. I don't think it was David. I I, I was just correcting myself. It might have been Reed, actually. I think it was. Damn sure it wasn't Ashley. But I, I think it was Reed. Either way, he left, to a, he left to attend his son's amateur wrestling event. WCW was less than pleased about this and proceeded to issue him his walking papers. Well, walking papers in a suspended, not fired, because, you know, we don't want you to go back to Vince kind of thing. 
and because, well, you're still Ric Frickin' Flair. That's legit. So anyways, in the build-up to this match on an episode of Nitro, Rick Steiner hits Scott Steiner with a chair. Rick Steiner comes down to the ring for this contest. Scott Steiner is pushed out to the ring by Buff Bagwell on a stretcher turning. With a cast on his leg, bandages around his ribs, and wearing an oxygen tank. Frankly, where was that oxygen tank when he needed it against Triple H in 2003? <laughs> You're not wrong, but ooh. Yeah, we're getting feisty up in here because this show is pissing me off. <laughs> I stand so, all I can... To, to, to steal a line from Popeye here, of all people, I stand all I can stand and I can't stand no more. <laughs> and yet, think about what the next contest is. But real quick... I, I just popped you with Popeye. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, part of it is also the fact of what the next match is. But real quick, so <clears throat> Scott Steiner can't compete. <laughs> so I mean, therefore, I believe, was this J.J. Dillow? Uh, first of all, there are those that would argue that even when he was healthy, Scott Steiner couldn't compete. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a difference between couldn't compete and couldn't perform. Ah, okay, that's fair. Um, yes, it was J.J. Dillon because apparently in his contract he was obligated to appear on every WCW pay-per-view ever throughout the history of time as long as he was employed by the company. Cause God knows I guess Nick Bockwinkle had the same contract. Yes, because God knows J.J. shows up on a lot of those 1998 WCW pay-per-views. And... TVs. Well, yeah. Well, I think he was the commissioner, actually, if I'm not mistaken. He was. He was, because he's the one that made the match that uh, resulted in our semi-main event. You know, the main result that came out of the semi-main event. All right, well, anyways, back to the... uh, Due to the fact that Scott Steiner can't perform here, they make the match for Fall Brawl instead, and... And the crowd boos. Yes, because they obviously wanted this match here tonight. Frankly, it was probably a wise idea to save that match for a wrestling crowd. Uh, The Frawl Brawl performance is entertaining while it's just the two of them, and then it breaks down into a huge debacle because WCW. So, yeah, it pretty much is just a typical WCW match. It's good, and then just crap. So, J.J. tells Scott that if he does not meet the performance expectations at Fall Brawl, he will be barred for life. Scott proceeds to make a miraculous recovery, and then Rick Steiner chases him out of the arena, and we go on to our next contest. Real quick, though, didn't, it'll be my last thought. Didn't J.J. put a really goofy time restriction on to where it just so happened to match up with Fall Brawl because Fall Brawl was like something like six weeks away, so he said that he had like a 38-day window or something. 45-day window. Yeah. And I believe Fall Brawl was 42 days away. Thereabouts, yeah. Uh, August, yeah. or excuse me, September 14th, 15th, 
somewhere in that range. Hmm. So, yeah. Our next contest. Do we have to? Mongo Wings, next. Yes, we do. We'll be talking about this match more later. I think that's all we need to say for now. I'll leave it to one question. Fine. Why was Mongo allowed to use the tombstone? (laughs) More importantly, why was he allowed to use the tombstone on a guy the size of Brian Adams? No, 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 no. I don't give a rant ass about Brian Adams, just like everybody else. Why was Mongo allowed to use the tombstone, period? Maybe they thought he was the under... (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't say that with a straight face. I would not trust Mongo, even though he is a former football player and a very strong person, I would not trust Mongo to hit a tombstone. Yeah, well, he did, and he won, and we move on. No, actually, we can't. Um... You know what this match needed? Because it already didn't have two of the worst workers as it was in wrestling history. You know what this match needed, Patrick? Four four horsemen? This match needed Virgil. Or as WCW called him, Vincent. Yuck, yuck. But remember, this will be mentioned number four, not a rib. I At least the Virgil money. half, the Vincent half. Well, depending oh, on no, who the, you ask, everything's a no. Rib. The, the the Vincent half was most definitive, most definitively a rib towards VK McMahon. VK Wall Street. Again, with WCW history repeats itself, and those okay, who do not learn from Mafia, different company. Not really. Same J E double F, different company. So same crap, different package. I mean, hypothetically, yes. Anyway. I think we've already given this match more attention than it needs for now because I think I have a very strong feeling we're going to be talking about this more later. Absolutely. Yeah. Fans, if you, long-time listeners of the show, you already know where this is going. Uh, first-time listeners to the show, thanks for listening. And... Yeah, we have our big finish at the end, and one of the things we talk about is worst match of the night. Two and two together, This will be the best match of the night. Two and two together, people. Come up with five WCW style. Oh, no, no, no. no. When I say this will be, I mean the next match. Ah, yes. Assuming the next match is the Cruiserweight title. Yes, it is. (laughs) So it is... Chris Jericho putting his Cruiserweight Championship on the line against Quasi-Juice, Juventud Guerrera, with Dino Machino Malenko as the special guest referee, making his return after losing a title versus career match? No. He lost a match to Jericho that stated that if he... It was a match on on Thunder, because I've actually seen the match in question before. He lost the match to Jericho, and the stipulation was that as long as Jericho was champion, Malenko could not challenge Jericho again for the Cruiserweight title. Since, since we didn't get a chance to cover it, one of the best moments in WCW history happens at Slamboree 1998. 
We kind of touch on this when we talk about the match when we did our uncensored review, so we'll kind of touch on it here as well. There's a Cruiserweight Battle Royal that is won by Ciclope, of all people. Jericho puts in the yucks, and then Ciclope unmasks as Dean Malenko, making his return to WCW after leaving at Uncensored 1998. And the crowd, to quote Pat Patterson, goes banana. That's not Ciclope! By the way, that's five references. I know. All right. Now that we're done getting our stuff in, let's go ahead and continue talking about the match. It's not even our stuff we're getting in. <laughs> I know. That's what makes it even better. <laughs> All right, in terms anyway. of this match, Juventud Guerrero versus Chris Jericho, <clears throat> um, here, I'll put it this way. Take the U.S. Championship match from SummerSlam last weekend. We're filming this on the Sunday after SummerSlam 2017. Which, by the way, if you want to know our reaction to that, you can check out the archives as well. That was Wu 2 Wen, SummerSlam 2017. Take the U.S. Championship match from last weekend and just uh, have everybody in the match lose about 50 pounds. The referee gets involved, the referee gets shoved around, the referee gets yelled at by, well, actually in this case, uh, it was the challenger in the U.S. championship, but it's the champion in the Cruiserweight championship match, but it's effectively the same thing, and then, unfortunately, the referee kind of directly involves the uh, finish. So, yeah. I mean... This particular one, though, I think I'm more okay with than I was with the with the uh, U.S. title involvement there. And the reason I say that is because a this helps Malenko get something of revenge on on Jericho off of the whole situation in regards to Jericho making fun of Malenko's father and Jericho getting back the cruiserweight title from Dean Malenko on a technicality the, the night after Slammery. I apologize. I have the hiccups right now. And everything that Jericho did to him. Jericho kicks Malenko while he's in the turnbuckles, and that proceeds to stumble Malenko back. Malenko then pops Juventud Guerrero up into the alley of Frankensteiner for the three count. Juventud would go on to hold on to the Cruiserweight title until dropping it to Kidman at World War III, I believe. And this would be after Kidman left the flock. So, obviously, Juventud would have a decent length run with it, whereas Jericho would kind of find himself in an obscurity. Yeah, let's take the best performer on the show, and the only guy to draw genuine heel heat from this biker crowd because he knew what to say to get under their skin and have him do absolutely jack and squat for the next six months. Why? Well, you can do the math by this point. I'm a real, I'm a real biker. I drive a, uh, was it a Mazda? Honda. Honda. I drive a Honda. Well, everyone in the crowd is pretty much driving either American Titan or Harley Davidson. American Iron. No, I thought it was type. No, he said it was American Iron. Either way, they were. Either way, Titan is its own company because those are the bikes Undertaker used to ride in. Because yes, I still remember the American Badass. Sue me. Yes. So American Iron. Either way, they were American-made bikes as opposed to Jericho's Japanese Honda. In the heart of America. Yes. Face Um, of America, everybody. Mm. armpit of America perhaps it is South Dakota after all 
I'd apologize to South Dakota, but nobody from South Dakota listens to us. I apologize to many of our South Dakota fans. Of which we have none. No, you have none. (laughs) Well, now I definitely have none. (laughs) Um, Can I just just point out what a first-class grade-A a-hole Jericho was in this contest and how fantastic it is? (laughs) Like the fact that he was calling him Dino Machino? Far and away, the best heel on this show. Not even close. I can think of one. Okay, the only other person that really got booed was Hogan. No. I mean, who Wait, are you? Bish, though. Bish? Leno. No. Well, Leno was not a heel. They were pro-Leno. They were telling him to get the hell out of the ring. Leno was heel. By that logic, Roman Reigns is... Never mind, moving on. God damn it! <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> That's good. Battle Royal time? Speaking of things I don't want to talk about. You know what? Actually, it's not that bad, but mostly because it's short. Uh, yeah. Eight, nine, nine people in this Battle Royal. The Giant, Scott Hall, Scott Norton, Kurt Hennig, Conan, representing NWO Hollywood. Conan, Lex Luger, Kevin Sting. All of NWO Wolfpack. Not all of NWO Wolfpack. There was another member. There was another member of the NWO Wolfpack. Savage. Yes. No. Ah. Yes. Yes. Savage was Wolfpack at this point. Yeah. I don't think the Zodiac was in the NWO Wolfpack, Harry. No, I wasn't referring to I wasn't <clears throat> referring to the booty man after Big Brother Booty. Although Kimberly in that dress almost made him tolerable. Moving on. And then the and ninth person in who's, who's the ninth person. And the ninth person, as I was about to tell everybody, is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Bill Goldberg, who had been WCW champion for about a month at this point. I believe so. A little over a month. July 4th, 1998, in the Georgia Dome against Hogan. So, yeah, a little over a month. The man, as Bobby Heenan would call him constantly. Marketing pal. Except for the fact that they never produced anything that proclaimed him as the man. I'm pretty sure they had the man Goldberg t-shirts. Not that you would know that because, you know, WW, but I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, I don't think so. But anyway, um, Aztec Warfare rules? Appears that way, yes. And basically uh, the only reason for the Aztec Warfare rules is the, the final elimination. <laughs> that was yes. it. <laughs> yes, the finish. Because... Apparently, despite being able to physically lift him up and jackhammer him, there was no way that Goldberg could throw the giant over the top rope. And there was absolutely no way that the because the jackhammer is so powerful, there was absolutely no way that the Big Show could haul his own ass over. Excuse me, the giant. Being attacked by fruit flies. Give me a second over here. All right. <laughs> 
And then also there's the fact that Kevin Nash eliminated himself. I understand the reasoning for it. Doesn't make it any better, though. Yeah, it's to set up the match between Kevin Nash and Scott Hall one-on-one. And frankly, I would have almost preferred Goldberg thrown the, the giant, the, the big shit, whatever you want to call him, over the top rope here because then you could have set up at September, you could have set up the uh, the, the big show to get the giant to get the heavyweight title shot against Goldberg because guess who wasn't on Fall Brawl 1998? Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't think the giant was either. You sure he wasn't in the... Uh... War Games from Hell match? Uh, 100% positive. Team NWO Black and White in that match was Hogan, Stevie Ray, and... Why am I drawing a blank here? Bret Hart, yeah. Interesting. Why would we want our World Heavyweight Champion appearing on pay-per-view? What kind of nonsensical logic is that? Because Warrior. Because Hogan. I'm not disagreeing with you. Oh, no, I'm just giving multiple reasons. I still think it would have been a fun contest to do, though. And especially oh, no doubt. Especially since neither of them had anything to do. And can you imagine 500-pound giant missile drop-kicking Goldberg? Fans would have bought that <laughs> as a finish back then. That was a finish in my day. Mm. Anyway. We, are um, talked about, we talked about the finish for this particular match. Apparently, Goldberg goes from 129-0 to 135-0 in one contest because he eliminates six people. Why? Well, if you haven't gotten the running gag by now, I can't help you. So he, so he was responsible for all of the eliminations except for Kevin Nash eliminating Scott Holland and Kevin Nash being an idiot and eliminating himself? Any guess who the booker at this time was? Goldberg? <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, the one that Goldberg didn't eliminate, actually. Scott Hall? I yes, I know, you. Kevin Nash. I hate you so much sometimes. Hey, hey you... Wait a minute, that means Goldberg would have only eliminated five. No, there were not there were eight people to be eliminated. Goldberg took out six. Oh Nash yeah, yeah, eliminated yeah, all yeah, yeah. seven and then Nash eliminated himself for eight. One of them still had to be in the ring to win. I was thinking eight person, not nine person. You're special. Look who's talking. I know, it's been one of those shows for both of us. <laughs> exactly. So I, I promise people we're a lot better than this. If you listen to our SummerSlam 98 review, hopefully you'll get that idea. You won't. <laughs> so we get well, let's be honest. Our quality is matching the quality of this pay-per-view. <laughs> We've officially dropped ourselves down to this pay-per-view level. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, not that I didn't say we went that low. We can speak oh. English. Hey, Bobby speaks English. Bobby was actually the most entertaining part of the show. Yes, but you had to understand Japanese to understand the booking. Or you had to speak fluent Kevin Nash, and frankly, I'm not capable of that either. I don't speak stupid. Main event? Speaking of stupid... <laughs> Okay, disagree, and here's why. 
Real quick, let me get through the rundown first. It is team. It is team Hollywood versus team Leno, apparently. And Michael Buffer earns his three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And boy, did he earn it with this one! Good God! It is Eric Bischoff. Huh? He lays it on a bit thick. Uh, Just a bit, because good God! (laughs) It is team Hollywood, obviously. The Disciple and Eric Bischoff, you know, teaming together for Team Hollywood. No, obviously. It is Eric Bischoff teaming with Hollywood Hulk Hogan to take on the team of Diamond Dallas Page. And yes, we're serious. Jay Leno, the host of The Tonight Show, with Kevin Eubanks, who's looking mighty jacked, by the way, in their corner. (laughs) Good Lord. Wait, I I got a joke for that. You ready? Oh, God. (laughs) He's on that Vince McMahon diet. <laughs> oh. Where's the joke? It's funny to me. And only no, you. No selling some bitch. Anyway. In terms of the match itself, half the match was good. You know what? I actually did not dislike this match. And the reason I say that is because I understood the reasoning for it. It was to capitalize on mainstream publicity. It was a way for WCW to get Uh their product out to millions of people on national television for free by doing this bit with Jay Leno and The Tonight Show. As I understand it, it was all orchestrated. As I've heard the story goes, it was orchestrated by Goldberg. I cannot confirm nor deny that. I do not know that to be fact or fiction, rumor or innuendo, as it were. Six. Seven. But as I I understand it, it was set up by Goldberg because Goldberg and Leno were very very friendly, very cordial, a lot of having to do with their similar tastes in muscle cars and motorcycles. They figured that getting this together here, too, it was a way for WCW to cross over and for the Tonight Show to possibly pick up a few extra watchers as well for the WCW market base. How they were assuming that WCW fans could afford televisions, I'm not entirely sure, but let's go with it. They could afford motorcycles. Well, they, they could afford motorcycles for the show. Maybe it, maybe it was if you come to the show, you get a free motorcycle. I feel like that's something WCW would have done. Because they haven't lost enough money yet. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, it probably should be mentioned, all those viewers that they were hoping to turn into pay-per-view buys? No. Yeah, one of the lowest, one of the lower-rated WCW pay-per-views of the year, unfortunately. Malone and Rodman did significantly higher numbers the month before at Bash at the Beach. I always forget that that's back-to-back. What, the Great American Bash? Oh, oh you mean the Leno and Rodman thing back-to-back? Yeah. Well, Reno and Malone. Well, yeah, because Rodman, uh, yeah. Rodman was somewhat of a regular fixture on WCW at this time frame. But for some reason, I keep thinking Malone and Page versus Rodman and Hogan was 97. I keep I, forgetting that they, actually did the, uh, that they actually did the celebrity things back to back. Well, Rodman actually did appear in 97, but Malone was in 98. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking specifically about the Malone one. Yeah. Anyway. 
You know what? Honestly, Leno doesn't even get in that much offense, though, and most of the offense that he does get in is very basic. It's a couple of right hands on Eric Bischoff. It's a couple of arm ringers on Hogan. Other than that, the only real wrestling move by either Malone, by either Leno or Eubanks is Eubanks' is diamond cutter, and let's be honest, out of the five men in this contest, I would argue that Kevin Eubanks is probably the second best athlete. Yeah, I'll go three. I would only put him behind Paige. I'd, I'd say he's in better shape than Hogan because Hogan at this point is pushing what fifty? I would imagine. See ninety-eight, so probably pushing forty-five. Ninety-eight. Yeah, he is officially 123 years old as of last month. Who's like it? Anyway. All the same. And Bischoff, Bischoff is deceptively athletic, I think. Um, Very deceptively. Like he, he could take an ass beating, is what I wanted to say there. He, yeah. wasn't a good, he wasn't a good worker or anything, but he could take an ass beating when the situation called for it. Um, the Starcade '98 match against the Starcade '98 match against Flair, he more or less gets his ass handed to him and then picks up one win via fluke. And then at the end of the year, he faces Flair again in a rematch and absolutely gets his ass handed to him for the duration of the contest. And that's the match in which Flair wins the WCW Commissionership. Didn't he also get his ass kicked by Larry Zbyszko at Starcade '97? And then didn't he beat Zabisco on some kind of shenanigans? Or was that the one that Larry won? No, I think that was the one that Larry won. I think it was for, like, control of Nitro or something. It was, like, WCW versus NWO for control of Nitro. Oh, okay. That might have been when they were doing the the NWO hours. Sure. Um, Anyway... I I still can't justify this. I can't. The reason we're not talking about the match is because, frankly, there's not a lot to talk about. It's Paige getting his ass kicked and not giving up, getting a little bit of offense in, Leno getting almost all offense in because did you trust Jay Leno to take a bump? I most certainly do not. Exactly. And easily the best move hit by anybody in the entire match was Kevin Eubanks' diamond cutter. At the same time, though, I think this is going to pop the fans at Sturgis. And yeah, they may have been somewhat anti-Leno, but then when you have the post-match beatdown commencing and Goldberg making the save, the final imagery that you get for the pay-per-view is Leno... Goldberg and Page standing tall, and frankly, that in and of itself is a moment that WCW could market and trumpet to mainstream audiences, to mainstream telecommunications, stuff like the USA Today that they were constantly aiming to get advertisement in, hence the whole story for the for the David Arquette situation. That's a different topic for a different day for a different pay per view. But those are those kind of things right there. These kind of moments with Leno and Page and Goldberg standing in the ring with their arms raised at the end of the show is the kind of mainstream publicity that WCW was constantly aiming for. Mm. What was that? Yeah. Um. 
I mean, it's just. <sighs> oh boy, do I make the comments or no? Oh, what the hell? Mayweather versus McGregor, and this wasn't. I don't know how to respond to that, so I'm not going to. Okay. I'm saying that as Conor McGregor did better in his one-off than Jay Leno did. Mm, but the thing was, is look at all the mainstream publicity WCW got out of it in exchange. Too bad that didn't turn into, you know, buys. Well, in fairness, it didn't turn into, you know, paid attendance either, so I think WCW kind of wrote this off as a wash. It was more about getting well, at the same time, it, it couldn't turn into paid attendance. Literally, no, it couldn't. I think, they, I think WCW kind of looked at this as a wash. I think they knew going in that Leno wasn't going to do the buy rate that Malone and... Uh, Rodman? That Malone and Rodman did. Yeah, my messenger froze, and I'm trying to send a message, but and my messenger's giving me crap. But anyways, regardless of my technical difficulties over here, WCW knew going in that this wasn't going to do the buys that Malone and Rodman did the, pre- the, pro- the previous month. This was more about having people watching The Tonight Show and then possibly getting those people to tune in and watch WCW Nitro as a result. And remember, they were still in the middle, kind of-ish, with the WWF in a ratings war here. They weren't losing the, the ratings war by this point. They were still in the thick of things. I think the George- at this point, though, or this, this was kind of the point where they were still kind of going back and forth a little bit before uh, WWF would end up just teeing off on them. Yes, that I agree with. And I believe the last time WCW would win was the Goldberg title win, if I'm not mistaken, or they would end up trading back and forth for a little bit after that. But other than that... Uh, No, can't be. Way later, because... Can't believe I'm about to bring this up here. Nitro won the night of the finger poke of doom. Yes, that isn't a because WCW story. Yeah. But Nitro would end up winning because Nitro won the overrun. If there was no overrun, Raw would have won. But everyone wanted to see the Hogan and Nash fight. And then... You got that. You got because WCW. I feel like we said because WCW a lot on the show. Because WCW. I was just about to make that joke. It's hard not to. <sighs> Big finish. All right. Let me, let, me, let, me re, let me rephrase that. Medium-ish finish. <laughs> sure. Look at the bright side. It means the finish line is in sight. True. And the road, to, well, and then the highway to hell begins. Hey, highway to hell was significantly better than this. You'll find out more about that in the next episode of Wrestling Unwrapped. The Highway to Hell Summer Slam 1998, available soon on the W2 Network. If it's Indeed. not available by the time this one is over. True. Anyway. Um, so, yes, big finish time. Best work, best, 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 best match, worst match, and our cash and our trash 
for this show. I think I got it finally. All right. Why don't we go with the matches first? We'll get the one that's really obvious out of the way. Sound good? Uh, I think both best and worst match are pretty obvious for this show. True. But for, you know, argument's sake, Harry, what is not what is your what is the worst match on the show? And possibly one of the biggest offenses to wrestling in pay per view history, you gotta go with Steve McMichael against Brian Adams. What in the Sam Hell was that crap? I still would not trust McMichael to do a tombstone ever. Mongo should stay only being a pawn in the game of life and get out of the wrestling ring. And I'm saying this as someone who's a Chicago Bears fan. Yeah, well, we can blame the WWF for Mongo becoming a wrestler. I know. You can learn more about that. Wait, did we actually? Yes, we did. You can learn more about that one as we cover WrestleMania 11 from... April? April. April. Second. <laughs> no. WrestleMania 11 episode? From this past April. Oh, you mean from April. In the W2M archives. I thought you meant, uh, what, what was the date of the show? I was going to say April 2nd, 1995, I think. I think it was April 11th. Anyway. Um, yeah. Screw that. What's the best match? You asked that like there's a question. Well, I have to change the subject at some point. The, the dancing fool versus the punk. <laughs> Go to hell. It was no, obviously no. the main event. <laughs> you know, I, was tempted, I was tempted to troll you with that, but I decided to go with the dancing match because I thought it was funnier. Um, no, in all seriousness, it, it has to be Jericho and Guerrero. Um, Jericho was at his peak as a heel at this point. Uh, WCW would more or less abandon ship when it came to Jericho shortly thereafter, and Jericho would be left to his own devices for the better part of the next six to eight months before his contract with WCW would expire in May of 99. Which is kind of funny because doesn't it essentially lead to some of his best work? Wasn't the Goldberg stuff yet to come? Yeah, the Goldberg stuff was actually the next month at Fall Brawl. There you go. And while entertaining, it was still a sad misuse of Jericho because there was so much more that he could have been doing. And the fact that Goldberg didn't see money in Jericho then was Goldberg's fault, frankly. Everybody else saw that there was money in Chris Jericho. But anyway, uh, yeah, you have to go Jericho Guerrero here. Yeah, there's really no doubt about it. Um, sorry, <laughs> some issues over here. Yeah, there's no doubt that even with, you know, the little bit of referee interference, including the referee actually being the reason for the finish to the match, Guerrero and Jericho still, you know, blows away almost any not even almost, everything else on this card. Um, it's also where I actually finally realized that the ring was on a ramp. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or it was on, like, it was raised. 
Why? Because that was probably the best way to do that, considering the fact that the entire crowd was on flat ground. So um, probably the best way to do that. Yeah, but it was also a dangerous way to do that because it damn sure looked like Coventude blew out his knee on that springboard dot to the ground. True. Because um, Hoovy does go, like you said, for a dive and I believe misses? Oh, no, he makes contact, but his knee hits the ground, and it's probably from the top of the ropes down to the platform that the ring was on was probably about eight feet-ish, I would say. Yeah, because it was a little bit taller than the giant. So I would say about eight feet. And then from the ground to the floor was another three feet or so. So I would say Hooventude probably jumped about 11 or 12 feet from the ring down to the down to the ground where Jericho was over by the guardrail. Yep. So it was a lot of distance to cover and very little room for error. So it's one of those things where it was a good idea in theory, not so great in execution. It almost would have made it more worthwhile to actually try and jump over the guardrail. Stupid idea, but it would have been better than what happened. Well, if he almost came up short by going to Jericho where on the floor where he was, I'd hate to imagine if he'd have tried to clear that guardrail. Yeah, but either way. And even with that, it's still the best match on the card. All right, cash and trash time. Uh, Let's get the negative one out of the way. What is your trash for this? This entire show. (laughs) <laughs> you cheater no in all, in all seriousness um, I'm going to go with the fact that they stuck their heavyweight champion in a throwaway battle royal that meant absolutely not a damn thing in the grand scheme of things going forward I feel like Goldberg would have gotten a much better reaction would have had a much better fanfare had he actually had a title defense on this show rather than being put in the battle royal and frankly, if you really wanted to pop the crowd, then you do Goldberg-Giant as a singles match rather than having them both as participants inside the Battle Royal. This would be a problem that would plague WCW throughout Goldberg's run. He would miss two out of the four pay-per-views as champion. And then the streak would come to, end, to the end at the hands of Kevin Nash at Starcade 98. Let's be honest. It came to the end at the hands of Scott Hall but at the hands of Kevin Nash, Booker Man, at Starcade 98. Okay. One of the reasons that you don't let wrestlers book. Claire. Uh, You can make that argument about Dusty. You can make that argument about a number of different people. Sullivan. At least Sullivan kept himself out of the main event, more or less. But instead, well, no, he didn't. Uh, his matches with Benoit were in the mid-card. He booked himself in the Dungeon of Doom. Okay, but the Dungeon of Doom was a mid-card act at best with the exception of the Giant. Moving on. Still the main event. Moving on. What's your worst match? Or, what is your trash? For, um? Mongo McMichael. No, um, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, you wouldn't be wrong. What's your trash for this show? Um, part of the reason that I got angry and called you a cheater when you said the entire show was mine's a little bit of an offshoot of that, the concept of the show. It's not a heavily bought pay-per-view, despite the fact that you have you know, one of the most well-known figures in TV on it. You don't charge admission, even though you have 
ballpark 20,000 people there. The aesthetic of it is not a bad thing. I did like the idea of, you know, the motorcycles and everything. But at the same time, well, I am one, so I'm allowed to say it. You're running the show in the middle of a bunch of rednecks. Okay, to be fair, Redneck was kind of WCW's target audience. I know, but you get my point. Um, and then also, something that we kind of failed to mention, although there was no point that, you know, that, that we were going to mention it, is immediately after the show ends, there's a huge fireworks display. That fireworks display actually is meant to kill time to set up for a Travis Strick concert. Welcome to Sturgis, South Dakota. <laughs> Um, okay, as somebody that at this particular point in his life was kind of listening to country music on a regular basis, Travis Tritt was the man in 1998. I get that, but... And you're no, right, Travis, Travis Tritt was the man. Well, Garth Brooks was it, the man. Travis Tritt was the semi-man. He was the he was the Ric Flair to, to Garth Brooks' Hulk Hogan. How's that? Yeah, that works. So right. it's just uh, this entire concept of doing an outdoor show like this, and it's not the only time WCW would do it. They literally did a pay-per-view, I believe Beach Blast, on the beach in Huntington Beach, California. And guess what? It didn't work. And apparently WCW does not like to learn from their lessons, hence why they're no longer in business. It's a stupid idea to try and do it this way. At least charge admission. And also, don't cut away from the chicks too fast, you idiots. <laughs> I was waiting for you to mention that because it was one of the first things you said to me when we were talking about the show while you were watching it by text. And then he, and then not only that, folks, he also realized what I was talking about. Yeah, if not for very quick camera work by WCW, the show would have had the one thing it desperately needed. Boobs! Oh, no, there were plenty of boobs. They were in the crowd. <laughs> they were also on commentary. Well, one of them was on commentary. His name is Tony Schiavone. <laughs> who apparently also, or who also doesn't know how a biker dresses. All right, so now that we've kind of got the negative out of the way for this particular show, let's go to the positive for this year. I want you to go first because I think my cash is going to surprise you. So what's your cash for this show, Patrick? I'm still struggling to find one. <laughs> All right, that's that's funny. I'm not kidding. I'm really would like not. Me, would you like me to go first then since you're still looking for one? <laughs> no, no. I know because you, you just don't want me to copy off of you. Um which might end up happening anyway. No. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, it is a struggle because while there is some good, you got to dig for a lot of crap to get to the good. You know, I mean, if nothing else, while the match is horrendous, while his offense was horrendous, you know, while he pretty much did, just like what Ned Flanders feels like he's wearing, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. At least Jay Leno did get into the ring. He actually tried. I'll give him that. Granted, 
out of everyone on his team, like I said, Kevin Eubanks hit the single nicest move anybody hit, I almost would have felt better if it was Kevin Eubanks in DDP, and Leno just causes a distraction or does something that ends up winning them the match. I think that would have played out a lot better because I think Kevin Eubanks would be more capable of at least taking offense and maybe delivering a little more offense than a couple really bad clotheslines and a couple right hands and his entire defense being taking a knee. So at least Leno did get in there and did actually make an attempt to have something that qualifies as a match. It's not great, but it happened. Again, mainstream publicity, I, I stand by it. They did this in order to get eyes on the product on that late-night national television on what basically amounted to free advertising. I mean, assuming, I, free, you, assuming the spots weren't paid for. So, But at the same time, do you not think it would have still had done the same amount of publicity if Kevin Eubanks and Jay Leno were switched? No, I don't. And the reason I say that is because I think I think people realized what a decent uh, what a decent shape that Kevin Eubanks was in. Part of the, let's be honest here, part of the shock and awe factor was the fact that it was going to be Jay Leno stepping into the ring. Okay. I don't think it would have done the same business same business had Kevin Eubanks been Diamond Dallas Page's second partner. And I damn sure don't see Jay Leno throwing a diamond cutter either. Oh, God. Could you imagine? <laughs> All right, so you ready for It would have been as bad as when uh, our president took the stunner. Or any time Linda's ever taken the stunner. Exactly. Uh, so you ready to be surprised as far as what my cash is? Go ahead. You know, it takes an extra special level of commitment commitment to be able to pull off a crazy, a demented, a wackadoo, a what's the word I'm looking for here? How do I politically correctly place this? A out there, shall we say, kind of gimmick. Tavo Guerrero Jr. had it nailed. Between his wooden horse best friend Pepe, his Notary stamp that he used to notarize everything and anything, whether it needed notarizing or not. His ridiculous contracts that put him into title matches where he was neither champion nor challenger because the actual champion was hurt. To the outright zaniness with which the character was played in general, my cash here it goes to the dedication of, to the gimmick that was Chavo Guerrero Jr. Was that for a surprise? If it ain't white, it ain't right. Views and opinions of Patrick Testar, those opinions. You know damn well I'm quoting a wrestler Chavo portrayed. I do. They don't. Chavo Guerrero portrayed a wrestler by the name of Kerwin White, whose tagline was, if it ain't white, it ain't right. He literally came out to Frank Sinatra while driving a golf cart, and he had his own caddy, who, quite frankly, with the way he's portrayed now, you wouldn't recognize him. Actually, yes, you would, because he's being a bitch either way. The views and opinions of Patrick Ketsa do not necessarily reflect those 
But first, we're going to wrap up the W2M Network or W2Mnet.com. Please send all hate mail to sgarmer at gmail.com. S.garmer. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and absolutely do not send it to H-E-B the Eagle at msn.com. You know, I actually do have that name registered for my Xbox profile, which is the sad part. <laughs> uh, I, I guess Netscape. Uh, <laughs> Netscape would have been funnier. Uh, <laughs> it's time to slap a rating on this thing here. And by slap, Zero. I'm literally... <laughs> Okay, we've covered a lot of shows that were worse than this. This is not a zero. I'm trying to remember the score I gave, Spring Stampede 2000. <laughs> The answer to that question was a two, I believe. I, I, that's what I thought it was. All right, a three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a half a point higher than you. I'm going to give it a three and a half. And the reason I'm going to give it a three and a half is because the Jericho Guerrero match is very entertaining. I actually enjoy the, the nostalgia and the straight-up ridiculousness of the Jay Leno appearance. And while I complained about the way that he was booked there, the fact that it was he was thrown haphazardly into a battle royal as heavyweight champion, the battle royal itself, at least in storyline context, makes a lot of sense for how Goldberg is portrayed in it. The only person that get any kind of sustained offense on Goldberg in that match is the Giant, and then Goldberg stands tall over the Giant at the end of the match by pinning him with a jackhammer, which is a visually impressive spot, even if obviously cooperation required. I'm going three and a half. What's sad is I think the best wrestler in the match was among the first eliminated. The best two wrestlers in the match were among the first ones eliminated. Um, well, Scott Hall went out first, and I would argue that nope. he's, probably the se- he's probably the second best wrestler in this match. The nope. best wrestler in this match went out third, nope. and that was Kurt Hennig. Yes. Oh, no. He was later. Oh. Sting went out like sixth. No. Not referring to Flash, are you? Please don't refer right. to Flash. Got Flash Norton. That's IWGP former heavyweight champion Scott Norton to you. Exactly. Shout out and well done to the boys over at uh, New Legacy for the job that they did with their 2017 Royal Rumble Fawn in order to raise money for the Canadian. I wasn't even going to bring that up. <laughs> Well, I did. You're welcome. They're welcome. Whatever. All right. The previous show has been... Hey, 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 hey. No. Damn it. We're done here. I didn't give my affliction. You you said three. It was better than Spring Stampede 2000. That was all you needed. (laughs) Fine. Go ahead. Take it home, Harry. (laughs) Go ahead. Take it home. Give your explanation. No, you're right. Take it home. You're, you're right. Go ahead. The preceding was a presentation of the W2M Network through W2Mnet.com. On there, you can find all of the latest articles and podcasts from your friends over at the W2M Network. Us here at Wrestling Unwrapped, Wrestling to the Max, Running Wild, Fantasy Football Podcast, The Regular Football Podcast, The Stephen Ur Show. MMA to the Max with Robert Taylor, myself and Sean doing the SmackDown and 205 Live reviews, Gary and Paul doing the Monday Night Raw reviews. Paul, uh, Harry, and I doing the incoming May Young Classic reviews. 
in addition to our already posted preview and first-round predictions for bracketology, amongst a whole host of The written reviews will eventually come back, as Patrick said earlier, August was a rough month for both of us due to our schedules. We are going to get back to work on St. Valentine's Day Massacre soon. Pro Wrestling Gorillas, Tremendous should be posted sometime whenever Paul gets around to it. In addition, we are on 411mania.com backslash wrestling. And apparently, as Sean told us here, we're back on Last Word on Sports as well. Ooh, very good. So, you know, good for us. What's up, Blog Talk Radio? We missed you, didn't miss you, kind of. <laughs> the views and opinions of Harry <laughs> <laughs> For our executive producer, Sean Garmer, I'm Harry Broadhurst. We, well, I'm Patrick Katza, and we will see you next time when we finish off August of 98 as we cover the finish of the Highway to Hell, SummerSlam 1998, from the world's most famous arena. And we promise, even though, we promise, even though we may not be better, the show definitely will be. And that will be next time. However, for this time, you have been listening to Wrestling Unwrapped review WCW Road Wild 1998 here on the W2N Network. We will see you next time. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.